0: Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We are continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians. We are at the end of chapter 1. Today we will focus really on verse 22. But, I will read from the middle of verse 20 through the end of verse 23 uh, so that we can get our bearings in the passage. So, Ephesians 1... 20-23, to follow as I read. Where it says, uh, He raised Him from the dead. That is, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So, uh, we've established, this passage establishes that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. God the Father raised Him from the dead, brought Him back to heaven, and gave Him as uh, as head over everything, as, as the chief authority over all things. He placed all things, the text says, under His feet, under Jesus' feet. But that's not all. This passage tells us that God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body. To me, it seems that Paul is using a play on words here. On the one hand, Jesus is head over all things. So think head of state. Um, or head coach. He is the chief authority is what's being communicated. He is the head over all things. On the other hand, Paul says that the church is Jesus's body. So you could get the picture that Jesus is the head on the body. Certainly Jesus is head of state and uh, he's also I mean the church is included in that as well. But it's also not wrong to think of him as the head on the body of the church. And it seems that Paul is communicating both things in our passage. He's head over all things. He has authority over all things, heaven and earth, including the church. And he's head. He is the head on the body, the church. So everyone understand the distinction? You tracking? We good? Not sleeping? Alright. So, um, in this passage, not only do we see Jesus' authority over all things, including the church, we also see the vitality of Jesus' connection to the church. What happens when you cut someone's head off? They die die immediately. The body has life because it's connected to the head. The text says that Jesus was given as head over all things to the church, which is His body. One one thing that this uh, tells us is the church's unique relationship to Christ. He is head over all, speaking of His authority, but... Only the church is His body, which speaks to the vitality of the relationship between Christ and the church. Only the church is united to Christ. Only God's people have a living, vital connection to God in Christ. So, the main theme, if you weren't with us, the main theme through the first many verses of Ephesians 1 is union with Christ. We were chosen in Christ. We were redeemed and adopted in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ. We have an eternal inheritance In Christ. Only the church has this vital connection to Christ as a head has to the body. Simply put, all spiritual life is in Christ. We are in Christ. We have life. So, one thing the text is telling us is this unique privileged position that we, the church, are in. We are vitally connected to He who is the head, to He who reigns over all things. The second thing I want us to consider has to do really with the nature of Jesus' rule and the place that the church has in the outworking of Jesus' rule over all things in the world. Jesus is not a tyrant Lord. Jesus is the Savior Lord. He rules to save. I regularly show you this passage because we need to be regularly reminded that Jesus is indeed in the process of saving the world. There's no need to turn there again, but listen to this. Uh, In in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, John is giving us a vision of the end. Uh, That's the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John. He's on the island of Patmos awaiting his death, and he gets this apocalyptic vision, and that's where the book of Revelation comes from. But he's giving us a vision of the end. And he he says this, I looked and behold... A great multitude that no one could number. There were, in this vision, there were so many people that no one could count that high. We don't have the mathematics in order to get there. A great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a vision of the end. This is the fullness of salvation. Jesus has saved the world. People from every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language. So if we know that this is where things are heading, that's the end, that's where we're going, we can look back at Ephesians 1 and when we read that Jesus is head over all things, that He has supreme authority over all things, that all things are under His feet, we know... This is really incredible news for the world. Jesus rules to save. He is not a tyrant, Lord. He is the Savior, Lord. Now, we would also be right in saying that it's not good news for anyone who does not repent of their sin and, re- and submit to His Lordship. That's true. But the point I want you to see is that Jesus rules to save. And really, the point why I'm making it this way is because this is kind of where the text is heading In chapter 2, we get into talking about we were dead in our sins, we've been made alive in Christ. It's talking about this salvation being fleshed out in in real time and space, and we're heading towards Jesus is saving the world. Um, He's in the process of saving the world. People from all nations, all tribes, all people groups, all languages, not one small dialect will be left out of this great salvation. So if that is the nature of Jesus' rule, if He rules to save the world, what is the church's role in that? The text says that Jesus was given as head over all things to the church. Of course, this communicates the amazingly privileged position that the church is in. We have eternal life. We are vitally connected to the life source as a head to the body. But it also communicates the significant role that we play in the salvation of the world. Jesus is head over all things. He rules to save the world. And He has been given as head over all things to the church. Jesus establishes His saving rule over all things in and through the church. I've said to you many times in here that... um, Jesus came to announce and to establish the kingdom of God in His life and ministry. So He announced it in person. Uh, at the beginning of His ministry, He said things like He said in Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here in, in me, in the person and work of Jesus. And he said, Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus announced the kingdom in His ministry. He also established... He, he beg- began to establish the the kingdom in his life and death and resurrection. And he continues to establish the kingdom in and through his people, the church. So, the kingdom has come in Christ. The kingdom is still coming by the work of the Holy Spirit in and through God's people. And the kingdom will fully and finally come when Jesus returns. Make sense? So right now we live in the in-between. Jesus has already come to announce the kingdom on earth. He's already begun to establish the kingdom on earth. But He is still establishing His kingdom in and through the church. And He will continue to do that until He has saved everyone that will be saved. Jesus was given as head over all things to the church. This speaks to the church's privilege of being vitally connected to Jesus, the head over all things. It also speaks to the fact that Jesus establishes His rule and reign in the world over all things through the church. So at the core of the church's existence is mission. Jesus is saving the world. He is using the church to do it. Now, when we talk about this, we need to think about the church in two different ways. Uh, We could say... The church institutional and the church organic. This week we're going to focus on the church institutional. Next week we'll focus on the church organic. Everybody good? Alright. The church institutional. So it's true to say that every Christian everywhere makes up the church. But it is also true to say, when we look at the Scripture and when we see how the church started and it expanded, that local churches were an integral part of that. I don't feel a need to go into a detailed study about this because here we are in a local church. I don't think you have a big issue with that. But there are those that say things, and if you've read some of that book that uh, we were reading this summer, you've seen some of this, but there are those that say things like, well, we're all the church. We don't need to come to the building We're all the church. We can do church anywhere. Of course we're all the church. Every Christian is a part of what we could call the church universal, the church everywhere. But if you can look at the New Testament and tell me that we aren't also supposed to be a part of a church somewhere, then you aren't being honest with what the New Testament shows us. And, you know, buildings are not the issue. So I don't want to come to the build. We don't have to come to the building. We're the church. Buildings really aren't the issue. Buildings don't matter. I, for one, am glad that we have a nice building. I'm glad that we're sitting in here and not in a storm or in the hot sun. But even if we didn't have a building, we could still be the church. What makes the church an institution is the fact that we have order. We have a specific government structure. We have instructions for that government structure in the Scriptures. We have things that we are to believe and things that we are not to believe. We have a specific mission in a specific place. All that to say, if you ever run into somebody, and you're bound to, that says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to a building because we are all the church. I would say the building is not the issue. But if you can show me a place in the Bible where you can be a faithful disciple of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus apart from the church on your own, um, I don't think you can. They might say, well, where does it say that you have to be a part of a church? And this is where I would show them. You know, Maybe not chapter, verse, this is what it says, but this is what I would show them. So turn to Matthew 28. Jesus rose from the grave. He appeared to His disciples and He gave them what we call the Great Commission before He went back to heaven. Matthew 28, we find it in uh, verses 18-20. to Jesus came and said to them, His, His disciples, and here again we see His kingship, His head over all things. He says, "...all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me." Sounds familiar. Like our Ephesians passage. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there it is. That's the end of Jesus' time on earth. And pretty soon after, He goes back to heaven. And pretty soon after that, He sends the Holy Spirit to empower His people to carry out His great commission, to make disciples of all nations. At this point, Jesus has already announced the kingdom. He's begun to establish it in his death and resurrection, um, but but he is about to send a spirit and he gives the marching orders for his people to carry it out. What a shocking statement. Us go and make disciples? I mean, we are your disciples, Lord. That's exactly the point. Jesus sends the Spirit to empower his people to continue his work. The kingdom of God continues to be established in the world in and through His people. So what does it look like, biblically, what does it look like when this disciple making gets fleshed out? What does it look like in the Bible? Well, churches get established. In Ephesus, in Galatia, in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Rome... Those are all the the letter to the Romans, the letter to the Thessalonians, the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians. These are all orderly, local churches. We have all these letters in the New Testament, many of which were written to churches, and if not that, they are written to pastors of churches like Timothy or Titus. So the point is, I guess, discipleship is not all organic. There is some institutional structure involved. In fact, if we just scan the New Testament, we see the Great Commission, the mission of the church, and as the mission gets fleshed out, we see more and more that local churches are established. This is the inspired, God-ordained way that this Great Commission is supposed to flesh out in the world. I dare say that the primary context context of discipleship is the local church. If you want to be about being a disciple of Jesus, and if you want to be about making disciples of Jesus, you had better be about the church, yes, the church everywhere, but you had also better be a part of a church. Jesus establishes His rule and His reign in and through the church. So, um, are there those that are truly disciples of Jesus, true Christians that aren't a part of a church? Sure there are. In fact, I mean, biblically, the Apostle Paul comes to mind, it'd probably be pretty hard to nail down his church membership and, you know, where he belonged. At the same time, much of his work and ministry had to do with establishing local churches. So, of course, you can make different arguments. Um, Paul was called to a specific work and uniquely gifted for that work, but I guarantee you, if you were to go up to Paul today and say, hey Paul, I'm in this discipleship thing, I'm going to follow Jesus, what should I do to grow in, in Christ? At first, One of the first things he'd say is, well, go be a part of the local church that's established in your area. Um, <clears throat> others might want to use Jesus as an example and say, you know, Jesus wasn't part of a church. I mean, I'm just kind of like that. I'm always on the move. It's all organic, you know. Um, It sounds spiritual, but there's a real problem that right before he went back to heaven, he told us how we were supposed to do what he had been doing. He said, go and make disciples. And you keep turning the page and you see, what does that look like? Well, it looks like a bunch of local churches. I'm not saying there aren't Christians outside of local churches. There are. But the question that I want to answer is, as a Christian, how should we seek to be a ever-growing, more faithful disciple of Jesus. As a Christian, how should I seek to make disciples for Jesus? The church is central to being a disciple and to making disciples. You know, it's interesting to look back at my own Christian life. When I was converted, I became a part of sort of an organic fellowship, I guess you could call it. We all lived kind of in the same area and spur of the moment Bible studies. Don't want to be too nailed down. Don't know exactly what time we're going to meet but you know we're probably going to meet at some point. Late night fellowship and prayer and you know it's not bad stuff but we used to look at the institutional church in a negative light because you know it needed to be more organic like like what we had in our little know it all group. Well let me tell you looking back at that it really isn't very impressive at all. Uh, there wasn't a great deal of spiritual health with a bunch of 22, 21-year-olds coming up with ideas and sensing what you know God was saying that day. You know why? Because to grow as disciples, we're intended to live in the context of a local church. With structured government, with pastors and teachers, with doctrinal statements, with orderly worship. Is the church organic? Yes, it is. But the church is also an institution and in order to grow like the Lord intends us to grow, we need to be a part of the institution of the church. You know, it's amazing to look back at my last seven or eight years. I've only been a Christian about eight years, I think. And uh, to see the change in growth rate as I became a part of a church. When the, when the church became an integral part of my Christian life. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I was on the fringe of church life as a young Christian. I attended a church. I was a part of different ministries, Christian things. I even worked for a campus ministry on campus at UT. But that ministry was not part of a church. My regular fellowship was not part of a church. So my early Christian life could be summed up like this. I go to church, but the majority of my Christian life is disconnected from the church. And then in my third year... Of Christian life, I joined the staff of a church. So naturally, I'm going to be more a part of the church. But for the last five years, I've been on a church staff, and one of the great blessings for me, having been on a church staff now for five years, is that I have now become a committed member of a church. I um, I've had people above me speaking into my life, which you don't have in the organic fellowship with a bunch of 21 year olds. It hasn't always been that way. I I uh, But I've come to see that's the way that God wants us to operate. Under authority. There's great, you know, lots of passages in the Bible that talk about the authority that we submit to. Under the authority of Jesus, yes. But Jesus establishes His authority in and through the church. And the church has its own authority structure. That's the way He wants us to operate. Under authority. He wants you to follow Him. He also wants you to follow the leadership in your church. You, I'm not saying that you guys aren't doing that. If anything, hopefully affirming uh, where we are today. But you really can't disconnect leadership in a local church from following Christ because that is the way that He has ordained to make disciples. Of course, that's not the only benefit of being in a church, um, but we're talking about the institutional church. We'll talk about some of the organic benefits next week. All to say, if you want to grow more as a disciple of Jesus... One of the main things you need to do is to become more a part of your church. Also, if uh, we're going to be serious about making disciples for Jesus, we need to see that the church is central to that as well. That's not to say there's not individual responsibility in the Great Commission. There is. We all need to feel some sense of individual responsibility for go and making disciples, for reaching people for Christ wherever God has placed us. But what do you do when you reach them? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Then He explained how. Baptizing them, teaching them all that I have commanded you. You don't need to feel the full responsibility for that because those things happen in the church. I would say step one for making a disciple is bringing them into the church where they can be baptized if they haven't been, where they can be taught faithfully week in and week out. And I'm not saying that's when the work of discipleship is done for you I think you should feel some sense of uh, responsibility for this person's spiritual maturity, whoever it is. Because God has arranged for you to be that person, that connecting point to the church in their life. And certainly you don't want to be telling them things that contradict things that are being taught here. I don't think any of you are. But I'm trying to get you to see that it takes a community to make a disciple. It takes a community to make a disciple. The church community. So here's some practical application and a bit of a challenge for you because I know you love that. Um, Think of a person in your life that is either not a Christian or might be a Christian but is removed from the church, has been for some time. Start praying for them. Start praying for them this afternoon. Start praying specifically for opportunities and open doors to talk about the truth with them. Then at some point before Christmas, and I'm going to come back to this, so I'm going to be on you. At some point before Christmas, pray for the courage and work up the courage to ask them to read through a book of the Bible with you. I've mentioned that little red book called Evangelism by Max Stiles. He's one of the pastors, or elders rather, at a, a church in Dubai. It's a Muslim culture. If you're not evangelizing in Dubai, your church isn't growing because no one's coming to church. Um, They're Muslim. But they've had to be evangelistic in order to engage the culture. And they just have some great things to say in that little book called Evangelism. But um, one of them is that, you know, evangelism is a community project. I mean, making disciples takes a community. And... How refreshing it is to know that if you're sharing Christ with someone and you're studying through a book of the Bible with someone, you can bring them into contact with other people in the church community that are going to do the same. And they're going to complement what you're doing in their life. There's great strength in that. Okay, back to the, the challenge. Work up the courage, pray for the courage to ask someone to read a book of the Bible with you. He also says in that book, not back to it all the way, that the best evangelistic tool, this is somebody that's been very evangelistic, the best evangelistic tool that he knows is to ask someone to study a book of the Bible. Because it doesn't put all the pressure on having a home run conversation and did they get it, did they not, you know, you don't know. I mean, take that pressure off, say, are you interested in the Bible? Would you like to read the Bible with me? We'll study the book of John or whatever. Okay. If you get there, when you get there, I'll be glad to recommend a book and resources for that book um, but don't start there. don't call that person next month and say, "Hey, uh, we haven't talked in seven years. Do you want to study a book of the Bible? You know <laughs> that's weird. We don't want to be weird. Um, I mean that's not terrible, but it, I think there are better ways. Ask them to grab lunch next week. you know, begin to reconnect, begin to if you haven't seen them in a long time, I mean, learn their wife's name or learn their kids' names or learn who they work for or whatever. But the people on your mind, begin to reconnect with them. And then sometime before Christmas, ask them to study a book of the Bible with you. During that time, assuming uh, that they don't have too much problem with what you're showing them and what they're seeing in the Bible, and I'm expecting that God will use this to bring people to Him. Invite them to church. I think it's great that we can reach out to people and engage people away from the church because for various reasons, people have issues with the church and not all of them are bad reasons. People have a lot of good reasons why they don't like the church, unfortunately, especially in a churchy culture. But we can meet them as the church and bring them into the church. Um, If you get to that point, we can talk more about what it looks like to continue in the making of a disciple. The point I want you to see is Jesus rules to save the world. He uses the church. He uses us to reach those that He is saving and to disciple them. He uses the church to disciple us. In fact, you'll find this. If you start to grow in this effort of disciple making, you'll find that you're growing stronger and healthier yourself as a disciple. You're growing more um, in Christ yourself. So, does anyone have any questions or comments about that. <clears throat> Somebody's burning to say something. Okay, a couple other related thoughts and we'll quit. Um, I believe that every ministry, everyone, would be much more fruitful and much more faithful if they operated under the authority of the local church. Uh, there's an interesting testimony to this as to why, and you guys will get to hear it in our missions conference, but Myron Thomas, who our church has loved and supported for years, um, who has had a ministry in Fraser for years that is seeking to engage young men and women and um, you know, in their early teens and prepare them through high school to become godly men and women to learn how to take responsibility for things and learn how to get a job. And, you know, it's, it's about discipleship. It's also about mentoring for work. I mean, Jeremy's leading an MIT, connected with Myron. But Jonathan Todd asked Myron, because Myron recently, within the last year or two, year, started Innovation Church. And now, that ministry, what is the, it's blanking on me. Is it Leadership Empowerment Center? Leadership Empowerment Center, which has been Myron's ministry for years, is now run out of the church. And um, Jonathan asked Myron, Myron, compare the two. Compare your influence in Frasier when you had LEC as to now when you've planted Innovation Church and LEC has run out of Innovation Church. He said, oh, there's not a comparison. I mean, the doors have flung open in that community when for the longest time it was a trickle. It's just the case in point. Every ministry is intended to operate out from under the authority of the local church, not because we want the power, but because that's the way that God has designed to save the world, is by establishing local churches in communities. Um, I believe that every ministry would be much more fruitful and much more faithful if they operated under the authority of the local church. I think that means shelters. I think that means rehabs. I think that means counseling. You name it. One of the things this means is that, and you you may think, I'm not getting at our church. You're about to hear in a few minutes that our church is a construction project, and we're not perfect, and I'm fine with that. We're still in building mode. But I recognize that some of you are going to be in leadership in this church, and I think it's my responsibility to guide and lead us that way. I think that the church needs to own more of the responsibility of what it means to be the church in a particular place. And I think that means owning some of these ministries like shelters, like rehabs, like counseling, you name it. But we're going to talk more about that next week. So let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, um, when we just scan the page and we see that Jesus' is head overall has been given to the church, it's just almost too lofty for us to imagine and yet... You've impressed even a little bit on our heart what that may mean. Um, what a privilege it is to be vitally connected to He who is head over all things, and what a privilege and what a responsibility it is to be a part of this thing called the church. Um, we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We love your church because you love your church. And uh, would you would you help us to be? more established in what you want us to be as the church, who you want us to be as Grace Evangelical Church, as the 20s and 30s of Grace Evangelical Church. Would you uh, guide and lead us in your ways, and we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.